Well, good morning, church. Uh, Nice to see you all. I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, which we already read together. Um, But we will be diving into in in the midst of our ongoing study in uh, the Sermon on the Mount as we find it in the book of Matthew. So if you've been with us uh, over time, you know we've been in this study. We've got a few more weeks left uh, because the Sermon on the Mount will run through uh, Matthew chapter 7. So we're kind of midway through. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, number one, welcome. We're excited that you're with us this morning. And uh, it's no problem at all that you're catching us sort of in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You can go back at any time and listen to those earlier messages. You could certainly read that on your own, uh, but you won't have any trouble sort of diving in in the middle uh, because there's a, there's a flow of thought here that, that will work out just fine. I also noticed as John was giving his announcement that the camera seemed like it was blinking a little bit. So if this, ca- you guys, there's only like three people here, John Tabay, Christina, Jeff and Eugenie are sitting here. If this camera goes out, let me know because then I'll turn and I'll look at another camera. I don't want to be looking, I mean... Whatever, just let me know as we go, if this thing gives out of me. So, last week as we were diving in, uh, in in the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, you'll remember as as Dan was teaching, that Jesus was talking about the way in which we can uh, can even have a sort of a false motive uh, in the midst of our religious practice. Things that seem so God-honoring, like the giving of our tithes and offerings, or our prayers, or even our fasting, spiritual disciplines, those things, if done with the wrong heart, can actually actually be robbed of the glory of God. They can become all about sort of personal gain. And so Jesus gives this warning to say, it isn't just about religious practice. It's also about being on guard for the ways in which your religious practice can become soiled by a wrong perspective or a wrong worldview or by having the wrong values. And as he continues, remember, Jesus didn't teach this uh, over the course of, you know, two months like we're doing. Jesus taught it as one sermon. And in fact, he probably taught these themes regularly. We see uh, many of these same things occur in the book of Luke and in other places. But remember here that Jesus has has a line of thought. So as he's talking about the way in which wrong motives can seep into our religious practice, he's going to continue in that line of thinking. And he's talking then not only about the way in which selfishness or pride can sort of find its way in, but now he's going to talk about the motivation behind that or the underlying value system that can sometimes lead us to do things that appear to be holy, but are actually done for the purpose of selfish gain. In this section, he is primarily talking about money. And so we don't want to, we don't want to step away. I know that makes people feel a little nervous sometimes when we talk about money. Uh, but understand that, uh, you know, some theologians will say that as much as 15% of what Jesus taught, he talked about money. He talked about finances. So we don't want to be scared of it. We also don't want to put an emphasis, uh, on particular things with regard to money that Jesus himself didn't place. But these verses we're studying this morning, uh, utilize the idea of earthly treasure and the sort of temporal nature of that, uh, the, the corrosive and uh, sort of the, the, the ongoing uh, ability to lose temporal things, um, Jesus is going to look at money as, as a picture of the way in which our values can get wrong. And he is talking specifically about finances, but there is also an overarching truth about anything that we make our master other than God. So I want you to see it today in this, uh, in basically three sections, which it sort of breaks up in here, even depending on the way your Bible's uh, sort of written out, you may have three separate paragraphs. We're going to take each of those in turn. Let's look at these first couple of verses, 19 through 21. 
Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, look, if you're spending your time trying to amass temporal things, earthly treasures, you're always going to be stressed out. You're always going to be anxious because earthly treasures by their very nature are temporal. They're temporary. They don't last. Now, in this particular case, he talks about moths and he talks about rust. The original language here doesn't really talk about rust as much as it talks about vermin. And in fact, I think if you have a King James version, it might say vermin. The idea is of corrosion or of corruption. Uh, and during this time period, moths would destroy clothing and, uh, and rust or decay would destroy other valuable things, whether it was, uh, whether it was the food you were going to eat or the crops in the field. These things, if you're trying to hoard them and you're trying to hold on to them, they slip through your fingers either because of the natural process of entropy and decay or because they're stolen. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The very nature of earthly treasure means that we always have to be anxious about losing our stuff. That we always have to be nervous about holding on to what we've gained, holding on to what we've accomplished, what's going to happen with our investments. The very nature of earthly treasure means we have to be anxious. It drives us to be greedy. It can make us suspicious of other people, wondering what their motives are, why they're getting more than us, or are they trying to take our stuff? It makes us anxious, greedy, suspicious, jealous, selfish, and ultimately exhausted. I don't know where you're at today, but even as John's talking about the, the, uh, the COVID deal, you know, and recognizing that we may still be facing some financial collapse in the future ahead as people are losing their jobs and we're not out of the woods yet here. I think there are some people for whom there's a great amount of anxiety and stress and tension and worry. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. He says, if you've got your hope and you've spent your efforts in setting aside or laying up for yourselves earthly treasures, how tired are you? You've got to be exhausted because those things can be taken from you. You ultimately can't take them with you. And even during our time on earth, those things are decaying. I heard a wise person one time say, look around you. And you can even do this in your home, wherever you're watching the service from this morning. Look around you. Just gaze around your home right now. Gaze around the inside of your car if you're listening to this on, on a podcast or whatever. Can I just tell you, everything that is within your eye to behold winds up in the dump or the graveyard. It all ends up in the dump or the graveyard. Some of you know my, uh, my mom passed away. She went to be with Jesus at the end of the summer. And one of the responsibilities that falls to her children is to go in and to clean out her house and to prepare it for sale. And so I and my children, uh, we went to Phoenix and we went through her house. And I think probably one of the saddest things about the loss of my mother was going through her house and having to make value judgments on things that were very important to her. So... Uh, you know, vases of artificial flowers that I know she bought and she picked and she put in a specific place because when she woke up in the morning, she wanted to look at those flowers and they brought her joy. But as her son and as her grandchildren, we walk in the house and we look at this vase of artificial flowers and it doesn't really mean anything to us. And so then we have the difficult decision of going, well, do we keep this somewhere because it meant something to grandma or do we sell it? Does it have any value to even be sold or do we give it away or does it get thrown away? Even worse, it was, 
it was grievous to us. It was very heavy to think about going through all my mom's stuffs and having to make that value, that value judgment. All that stuff mattered to her. But it doesn't necessarily matter to people in the future. And, and we spend so much time. Here's what Jesus is saying. We spend so much time trying to amass for ourselves things that cannot last and do not have eternal value. Now, I will say, uh, you know, that, that my mother didn't spend her entire life investing in artificial flowers or beanie babies or Starbucks coffee mugs. She had a lot of those. But I would say the, the great bulk of my mother's life was spent investing in me, investing in my brother, investing in her grandchildren, investing in the people that she went to church with. She was investing in the lives of other people and creating in them a hunger for the Lord Jesus. I am here with a great passion for God's word and for teaching God's word and for trying to direct your attention to the Lord Jesus because of my mother's investment in my life. I'm here doing that today because in part of her work. So not everything that my mother invested in was temporal. Those beanie babies that she thought were going to be worth a million dollars someday that aren't actually worth much at all. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But likewise, he'll say you can actually lay up for yourself treasure in heaven treasure in the kingdom of God, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. You see, it is impossible for my faith in Christ, that investment that my mother made in me, it is not possible for that to be stolen by a robber because that is secured by the Holy Spirit of God. My mom's work in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit has cemented that in me. You can't take it. And it does not erode. It does not fade. It does not, uh, it does not corrode, Right? My mother made some eternal investments. Those eternal investments that she made, she made in the lives of people. Jesus says here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We have to ask ourselves the question, especially if we're living in the anxiety of trying to hold on to money or trying to hold on to property or trying to hold on to fame. If you're feeling that jealousy and that suspicion and that anxiety and that exhaustion, well, then you have to read what Jesus has said here and ask yourself, well, how do I lay up for myself treasure in heaven? And what is that even? What are those things? What are treasures in heaven? Are those the gold and silver jewels that are on some crown that we're going to lay down? I guess in part, that's a part of what it's talking about. But remember that for the Jewish people who were, who were hearing this message in the first place, they never thought about heaven as a place they were going to go when they died. Jesus himself in his example of a prayer has already said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' whole message was the kingdom of God. The heavenly kingdom is available now. So when Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, he's not just talking about treasure that you'll be able to hoard someday when you walk on streets of gold. He's talking about treasure that has value now and then. He's talking about treasure that has value now and then. It is possible to live our lives, to organize our lives in such a way that we are making investments that will both reap reward in our lives today, joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment, and also have an eternal reward in the glory of God. Dan said this last week. We've said it time and time again. The currency of the kingdom. The currency of the kingdom. Remember, gold, like we think of gold, is not valuable in heaven. Diamonds and rubies and emeralds and silver and platinum. These things are not valuable in heaven. In fact, somebody has sort of jokingly said that gold is the asphalt of heaven, right? It's what they pave the streets with. 
No, the currency of the kingdom of God is his glory. And we can glorify God now, and that glory does not corrode, it does not fade, it cannot be eaten by, by vermin, it cannot be decayed by rust, and it cannot be stolen. I had a really interesting conversation with a kid uh, from North Carolina, this is like an 18-year-old kid, and he called me, he found my number online, and he called me, some of you know... Uh, I used to be in a Christian band a long time ago, wrote a bunch of songs, put out like six records. And this kid from North Carolina, he calls me, he says, I'm a, I'm a Christian songwriter. And I'd, I'd just like to pick your, pick your brain about writing songs. And I was like, well, I, I'll talk to you. So we did a FaceTime, right? I, I FaceTimed this kid in North Carolina, really sweet boy. And he's in college writing songs. He's got like 20 or 30 songs he's written. And he, he wanted to ask me about songwriting, which I haven't done a ton of songwriting recently, but I used to do a lot of, so we talked about it for a long time. And toward the end of our conversation, he said, I have to let you know that the reason I want to write songs to glorify God is because I heard your song X. And he, and he named one of my songs that I wrote in 1998, a song I wrote in 1998 that I have not thought about probably since the year 2000. So it's been 20 years since I've thought about this song. And yet there's a young man who lives in North Carolina, who I might never meet face to face, that heard a song I wrote over 20 years ago and was moved by the Spirit of God and compelled in his own life to say, I also want to write songs that do what this song has done for me. Well, what is that? I don't know that as an 18, 19-year-old when I was writing these songs uh, back in the 90s that I was thinking about the long-term investment. What is that? Those songs that I wrote that glorify God in, in the 90s, they continue to glorify God today in the lives of people. And not only do they individually, those songs exist apart from me. So I didn't play this song for this kid. Those songs exist apart from me. And when people hear them, they not only continue to glorify God out of my particular presence, but they can also have the potential to stir other people towards glorifying God as well. And so there's this investment and this multiplication. You want to talk about dividends, the things that we do for the glory of God and the good of others lay up treasure in heaven. And that heaven, that kingdom of God is now and not yet. Let me just read you a couple of verses. We're going to read these in rapid succession, but listen to what Jesus says about laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. In Luke chapter 12, verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What, what does it say here in First Timothy? What does Paul say about the storing up of eternal treasure? He says it happens how? By not being greedy, by not worshiping riches, but to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves, right? That treasure happens when we turn our eyes away from gaining things for ourselves, those earthly temporal treasures, and we begin to invest in the lives of other people for the glory of God. Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looking at the rich young ruler, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says, Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is pointing at what he will say later in the text we're studying this morning, which is you can't have two masters. And so at some point you have to take your eyes off of the temporal things that make you so anxious, that have you so fearful, that make you so greedy and worried about other people, and instead focus on the glory of God and the good of others, the service of others, the sacrifice. If we read that whole text back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, it says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made this good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What is of eternal value? It's our pursuit of Christ. It's our knowledge of Christ. It's our worship and glorification, our obedience to him. It's our revelation of Christ. To reveal him in our thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes. We talk about that a lot. That everything we're doing in the midst of our circle, the people that God has put in our lives to have an impact upon, everything we do, every attitude and every word and every action, all of those things are painting a picture, either accurate or false, of the king whom we claim to serve. So what has eternal value? What has eternal value is a true revelation of Jesus. And Jesus was not in pursuit of riches. Jesus was not in pursuit of earthly favor. Jesus was not in pursuit of a bigger house. If he'd wanted it, he could have had it. What Jesus was in pursuit of was rescuing us from sin and death for the glory of God by the giving away of himself. By the giving away of himself. That's what we're called to do. Reveal that same thing. So Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. What were the Pharisees doing that were praying loud in the temple to be heard by others who were scrunching up their faces when they were fasting? What were those Pharisees doing? Well, they were trying to gain something temporal for themselves in their religious practice. And Jesus is like, it's because you're hungry for the wrong things. You're hungry for the favor of man. You're hungry for the wealth that might buy you, the influence it might buy you. You're hungry for the wrong stuff. All throughout the Bible, we see that this type of giving and this type of investment has both an eternal impact and a temporal just a couple of Proverbs for you. Proverbs 14, 21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. What's it saying? It's not somebody who holds on to the bread they have, but someone who gives these things away. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35 It says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. That's countercultural to the world in which we live, which is always just trying to receive more and more and more. People who treasure Christ, people who treasure Christ and hold on tightly to that which is eternal, find joy and peace and satisfaction in this present day. I'll tell you, I got off the phone with the kid from North Carolina and I felt so much joy. Not, not joy that I had written that song, not joy that I had had this career as a Christian musician, but joy that God had used some little thing I had done to bless a guy I'll never meet. I'm still joyful about that in ways that like getting a good, you know, b- buying a new record doesn't, doesn't satisfy me for long. Having a great meal doesn't satisfy me for long. The investment that we make in others is eternal. And people can see where your treasure is. People can see where your treasure is. Jesus says this in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember that in the Hebrew mind, the heart isn't just a center of emotion. It's it's the center of the whole woman or the whole man. It's the center of intellect. It's the center of passion. It's the center of, of, uh, of uh, action and where you, it's, it's the whole man. So he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I can't hear him say that without thinking of the multiple times, both in the Old Testament and the New, when God has said in one form or another, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of rules taught by men. What is God interested in? God is interested in our hearts, being near to him. That's what he wants. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What's he saying? Let me be your treasure. Let the good of other people be your treasure. If these things are your treasure, your heart will be with me too. But if you treasure other things, your heart will be gone. Your heart will be far away. So the first point out of this section of what Jesus is teaching, the first point is seek real treasure. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you three of these main headings. The first one, seek real treasure. You see, your goals put your gods on display. I think there's a real danger in a message like this that people uh, hear it and they've heard it before and they kind of know it and so they nod and they just, they go, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. I'm not supposed to worship money. But we don't ever stop to do the hard work of evaluating the places in which materialism or, or the temporal has become our God. Can I tell you, you, you don't have to raise, if I raise my, if I said, hey, raise your hand at home or somewhere, raise your hand. If Jesus is on the throne of your life or if you worship money, right? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand for either of those. I could spend 10 minutes with you. You could spend 10 minutes with me and you can tell very quickly who, who people's gods are because your goals put your gods on display. Your goals put your gods on display. I can spend time with people and go, oh, I know what this person, this person cares about themselves more than they care about other people. This person cares about the way they are perceived more than they care about what God thinks. This person cares more about money in the bank or more about prestige than they do about, about God's perception or about things that are eternal. Your gods put your goals on display. You, you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to claim anything here. You don't have to protest. Look at your goals and they'll tell you something about your gods. And they certainly are telling other people about your gods as well. Heart, heart is what matters. See real, seek real treasure. Seek real treasure. That's the first one. The second one, let's read on here. He says this in 22. By the way, 22 and 23 are a little complicated, right? It's a little bit of a kind of a weird analogy. I'll do my best to help sort of untangle it here. Jesus says this next. Remember, he's just talked about our value system, what we value. Now, what he's going to go on to say is that it isn't just about possessions. It's not just about possessions. It's also about perceptions, okay? Not just about possessions, although that's an outworking of your perception. Here's what he says in 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He says it's your perspective. It's not just your possessions. It's not just what you do with your possessions. It's about your perspective that informs that. So not only do we seek real treasure, we have to see by real light. Jesus says, uh, your, your, take for instance your eye. He says, your eye, if it's good. Now, different, depending on the translation you've got, uh, it might say the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye, yours might say healthy. That's what it says in the ESV. It might say good. Or it might actually say single. And single... There, where the word healthy is, is actually the better translation. If your eye is single, and we hear that and we go, what do you, you mean if I have one, like an eye, like a pirate, right? One eye. No, no, no. He's talking about singular vision. He's talking about whole vision, right? He says, if your eye is single or whole or healthy, that's why it gets translated healthy here. If you see with a singular clarity, then that gives light to your whole body. It illuminates everything you do. It illuminates everything you do. But if your vision is double, or triple. If your vision is blurred, just think about your eye. Once your eye becomes double vision or triple vision, once things become blurry, you can't possibly see. And the danger of that perception is that you could get to the place where you actually start to call darkness light. I think about uh, the movie Adventures in Babysitting, right? And some, for some of you, that's a lost reference. But Adventures in Babysitting, remember the scene in the bus station when Brenda loses her glasses, her glasses get broken, and she walks over by the soda machines and she, uh, she picks up the kitten and then the janitors come and they ask her to put the animal down so they can kill it and she's appalled until she realizes she's holding a New York bus station rat in her arms, right? Uh, it's just a movie, don't be afraid. But, but the idea there is because her perception was off, because her focus and her eyes didn't work, she picked up a rat thinking it was a cat. What Jesus is saying is if your eye is good, if your eye is singular and sees things from the right perspective, what's the right perspective? That the only things that have value, the only things that have value are the glory of God and the good of others. If your eye sees with that singular perspective, your whole life will be informed by that illuminating principle. But if you're blurry, if you're blurry or you have dual vision, then what happens is you start to go, well, yeah, you know, I know the glory of God is important, but you know what else is important? What people think about me, how many Instagram followers I have, whether people like the recipes I post on Facebook, you know what else is important? That nobody tells me what to do. I'm an American, whatever, you know, like it can get really blurry really quick and it can get to the place where you convince yourself that darkness is light. I remember one time when we were on tour as a band. Uh, normally we would show up in the towns we were supposed to play at like three o'clock in the afternoon. We'd set up our gear, do a sound check, have dinner, uh, and then do a concert seven or eight o'clock. And we're driving this one day and all of a sudden it's starting to get dark. Like we get past three, we get past four. It starts to be five o'clock. Like we're way late. And so I asked Mike, who's driving the van. I said, Hey, when, are we, is, we're cutting it close today, right? We're cutting it close for this concert. Like it's only two hours until the show. And he goes, yeah, I don't know if like we missed our turnoff or what happened, but we should, we should have been there like three hours ago. I don't know what happened. So we start to do a little bit of investigating and we realize um, this is back in the day before iPhones. It's back in the day before GPS, back in the day before uh, Google maps or whatever else we were using what, what was called a Rand McNally Atlas, right? So that's like a roadmap. And you figure out where you want to go, and then it tells you what page that area is on. E7, E6, E8, whatever. You go there, you find where you're headed, and you plot your course out. Mike accidentally picked the wrong page. He accidentally picked the wrong page, and because he picked the wrong page, he stayed on the right highway, but he went the wrong direction, right? And so we actually had been traveling for 10 or 11 hours 
the wrong way because he had the wrong page. If you're on the wrong page and you have the wrong map, then you cannot possibly make a right turn. Does that make sense? If he's on the wrong page of the Rand McNally, it doesn't matter if he goes left or right or up or down. He's, he's lost. We saw something similar when we were studying the book of Ephesians. Remember this text in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. What's he saying? They're functioning off the wrong map. If darkness has become your light, you cannot possibly make a right decision. I mean, maybe accidentally. What's he saying? Have the right perspective. See things correctly. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be oriented correctly, perceiving things as they rightly are. But if your vision is blurry, your life can't be navigated. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14 Jesus says this of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. These are people who had great religious practice. They knew all of the laws. They knew everything in the Bible. They knew all the stuff that the Old Testament had to say about living a religious life. And Jesus looks at them and says, not only are they blind, but they're leading those who follow them into a pit. Well, what's happened? They lost their singular vision. And so the light that was in them became darkness. And how great is that darkness, Jesus says. Our first emphasis today is seek real treasure. The second is see by real light. I love the lyrics of the, of the classic song, Be Thou My Vision, right? Be Thou My Vision. I'll read you just a couple of stanzas of that. But Be Thou My Vision starts like this. It says, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me save that Thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Sometimes when we sing this song, I think we think about saying, uh, Jesus, be my vision. Jesus, be my vision. And what we sort of mean by that is, God, give me a clear view of you, right? I want to be able to see you well. But I don't think that was the author's original intent. If you go back and you look at the early poetry that this song is based on, I think what the author's saying, and it kind of plays out in the rest of the song, I think what the author is saying is that by the light of Christ, may everything else be illuminated. Can I see everything? Because Jesus is my vision. C.S. Lewis said something similarly. He says, I, be- I believe in God in the same way that I believe the sun rose, not only because I can see it, but because by it, everything else is illuminated, right? Everything else is illuminated. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Thou my best thought, thy presence, my light. Listen to what he says in the third stanza. Sounds like it's taken right out of this text. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High king of heaven, my treasure thou art. High king of heaven, my treasure. What's your treasure? What's our treasure? What do we treasure? Do we treasure temporal things? You care about stuff that fades? You feel like you're constantly having to scramble to hold on to what you've collected? Because if Jesus is your treasure, not only is he not temporal and temporary, not only is he present, but his presence gives us light. He becomes the way in which the rest of the world is illuminated. 
seek real treasure and see by real light brings us then to our third and final point this morning out of this text. Back to Matthew chapter 6. He says this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. The original uh, language says mammon there, which was in reference to the idea of uh, personal gain or wealth. It was in, in, money's a great translation there for mammon. He says you can't serve two masters. Now, you might have a moment there where you go, well, wait a second, I, I could work at Subway and I could also work at McDonald's and I'd have two managers and I could serve them both. He's not, he's not talking about managers. He's not talking about, you, you know, you've got different, you've got your big boss and you've got sort of your departmental boss and you can't, no, no. If you have one of the journals this morning, I'd love for you to underline and circle the word master. No one can serve two masters. We're talking about slave enslavement, Right? We're not talking about, you know, can you subject yourself? Because ultimately, as servants of Christ, we're called to subject ourselves to everyone, right? So we can serve lots of people at the same time. But you can only have one master. You can only have one master. Why? Jesus says, and it's common sense, but if you're, if you're thinking of yourself as having two different masters, you will always be divided. Many times, I think what we try to do is we, we come to the Bible or we come to the person of Christ and we go, oh yeah, Jesus seems like a good guy. I mean, I don't want to go to hell. I want to have my sins forgiven. And so I'm going to add Jesus to the pantheon of gods in my life. Pantheon, a collection of different gods. So I got my career plans and I got my love life. I got all these things, right? And Jesus is one of those. And you know what? He's actually really important on the scale. And Jesus would go, no, 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 I'm not interested in being part of your pantheon. You can't serve multiple masters. There's an old idiom that, that says, if you go chasing two rabbits, you won't catch either of them. Well, that's especially true when one is the true God of the universe and there is no other. He will not share his glory with another, right? If the true God of the universe is part of your pantheon and everything else is an idol made of wood and stone, then of course you can't serve them both. If you yourself and your own intentions are one of your gods, of course you can't serve them both. You cannot be divided in this way. Elijah says in 1 Kings to the people who are worshiping Baal, the people of God who are worshiping Baal, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Why? Because they wanted to serve God and Baal. They wanted to do both. What is it that the Pharisees were trying to do that Jesus is speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount? They were trying to do both. They were trying to serve themselves and serve God at the same time. They were trying to do their religious practices to advance their own personal gain, their own pocketbooks. Jesus goes, you can't have two masters. You can't do both at the same time. They, they count each other out. Why? Well, Elijah would say, because you're just limping between the two. You're always limping. Jesus, Elijah says, let's not go on limping between the two. Pick one. That's all Jesus is saying back in Matthew ch chapter 6 as well. And it's not unlike what Jesus says in the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I want you to understand that seeking real treasure and seeing by real light only happens when you're serving a real king. Serving a real king. And if you've bent the knee to some false king, if you've bent the knee to some idol, if you have multiple lovers, 
that you're trying to appease, then it's no wonder that you're finding futility in your life. That same futility we read in Ephesians. Because you're calling darkness light. No, serve the real God so that you can see by real light and ultimately seek real treasure. If your heart is chasing fake treasure, it's likely because you're navigating by a fake map. And if you're navigating by a fake map, it's likely because you're following the orders of a fake king. Fake king delivers a fake map to hunt for fake treasure. And it is just the futility of life. But Jesus gives us a way out of that. He says, seek a true king and I can give you true light to illuminate your path. And your path will lead you then ultimately to a treasure that does not spoil and does not fade and is set aside for you in the kingdom of God. Eternal treasure that moth and rust do not destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Let that be your treasure because where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Church, for us this morning, the temptation or the danger is to hear a message like this and nod at it and go, yeah, 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 oh yeah, no, I get it, I get it. He needs to be the king. And then we just go back to business as usual. I think, I think Jesus would want us to stop and take a little bit of a longer look at ourselves this morning and ask ourselves if there's not a place for us to repent. Repent in the true sense of the word. I'm not talking about an emotional response. I'm saying a turning. We were going one direction and now we're going the other direction. I wonder if you wouldn't look at your own life and recognize there perhaps that your goals are showing the wrong gods. That your frustration and your anxiety is showing an attunement to a false treasure that you can't hold. It slips through your fingers. And maybe the key this morning is to renounce those fake gods, to throw away the fake maps that our culture would put upon us and to stop seeking fake treasure, to instead serve a true king, to see by true light and to, and to seek real treasure. Would you pray with me this morning, God? I pray that you would stir in us a heart of repentance, a heart of turning that it wouldn't just be another message in a long litany of messages we've heard, but that we would be people who recognize that you've given us here a recipe for peace. Peace with you. Peace with one another. To be set free from the rat race and to see things rightly, not only with our possessions, but because of our perceptions. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.